Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I am, I'm thrilled to be back in the United States this week. I'm talking with Mike Lundgren, who is the organizer of TEDx Kansas City. And by the time you listen to this, his event in August will have already happened. Mike, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. You know, I, uh, you came on uh, my radar because you had posted on the Facebook group that you had sold out and it was something, what was it? Five minutes? Come on. Or four it, minutes. It, it was four minutes. There's kind of a long story that goes along with that. Um, honestly, one of the biggest challenges we've had for almost um, four years running now is our, it's a ticketing system for our venue would continually crash into the load and demand. And last year we started using Eventbrite and lo and behold, um, that worked perfectly except it crashed one of their servers. So this oh year. Oh my gosh. This year was the first year we had a flawless ticketing event in four years. Everybody was done within four minutes, oh and uh, it was delightful. And how many tickets? So we sell uh, around three, a little over 3,000 tickets. Uh, we have a very unique design in our event in that we also uh, were under one roof with both our simulcast and our live event. We're in this beautiful Moshe Softy-designed performing arts center. And literally, both of our we have two events taking place simultaneously within oh. about fifty feet of each other. And I'm going to post. Uh, you sent uh, some spectacular pictures of the event, and I'm Thank going you. to post some of those uh, and a link to those pictures because that it's an opera house. Is that right? Or performing arts it center? It is the. Uh, <laughs> it is, in fact, on one side where we. Um, stage speakers it's where the symphony performs and mm. uh you know where you would in fact the acoustics are so perfect the biggest challenge is deciding whether you use sound reinforcement at all the other side the ballet and the opera perform and it's a very it's much more of an opera house and it has a sprung floor for dancers so it's an incredibly versatile uh, venue and with the spectacular view of the city it, it's really was a, a great gift to the city when it was built how, how long has it been around it, it feels uh, brand new, so modern. Yeah, for for little over four years. Uh, oh, so you went we, there we right away. Used it the first year. Yeah, we we so our first event we started in two thousand and nine, and uh, we moved over after a couple of years. Our first venue just wasn't large enough. And was there? Tell me about that because I know a lot of organizers are challenged with like. Do I let's let's presume you've already passed the hurdle and you could do more than a hundred people. So let's presume that. And you have, you know, three hundred, four hundred, you're at whatever venue it is, and you sell out quickly and you find out there's just a tremendous amount of demand, and then you 
make that move to the large. It might be a thousand, or in your case, it might be three thousand, or Sao Paulo ten thousand. What, what? Tell me what that discussion was like internally on what what you gained versus what you lost. If you did think you lost anything, well, I think I mean the, we've always tried to create a very intimate event. And what's so great about uh, this venue that we use now is that there's really no seat more than 100 feet away from the stage. Uh, And it's a beautiful, warm environment. And we don't have to do much even really in terms of staging to kind of get this beautiful effect. So it's really an ideal venue for for what we do. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest challenge anybody has when you think about moving to the next size venue is, you know, will you be able to fill it? Like, will you, will right. the economics work? Will you be able to sell enough tickets and enough sponsorship to make sure that you don't lose money? And, uh, you know, we knew we had a lot of headroom because of how quickly things even then were selling out. Right. But right. We didn't know how much we weren't very, uh, good at that analytics bit of, of really getting a sense, like creating a wait list and really knowing how much overhead there was beyond uh, our initial or, you know, initial sized venue. I think when we talked earlier, you were saying you didn't actually raise a whole lot of money because you have managed to do lots of in-kind sponsorship. Is that correct? It's true. Yeah, we we do a ton of in-kind sponsorship and uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of in-kind sponsorship, everything from travel to venue and production uh, and also uh we have a partnership with our local public television station. They do all of our, they do a, a seven camera HD shoot and a live edit uh, for our live stream, but then also they do all of our post-production, which is a really remarkable relationship. And so uh, really the, most of the big ticket items, uh, everything except our catering is, is really mostly covered by in-kind sponsorships. Wow. And so we, yeah, that's, you know, that's staggering because I know a lot of organizers are listening to this going, Oh my God. And, and I'm, I'm curious, why do you, what is it? Cause a lot of people have challenged with that. What, what is it you think you guys did differently around attracting those sponsors? And I'm going to guess you've kept those sponsors across the four years as well. Maybe even longer than that. We have, we've, we've had very little attrition of our primary sponsors and have created great working relationships with them really from the beginning and, and I think it really started with just uh, having a sensibility around what the TED brand stood for and mm. how it fit with their brand and then working closely with them to come up with activations, uh, you know, so oh. when you spilled out at intermission and afterwards, you, you know, we have a rule at TEDxKC, no oh, brochures on tables, oh. no brochures on tables because okay. we don't let our sponsors do something that ultimately doesn't add to the event, the intentionality of the event. and. Huh. You know, so uh, this year, one of our major sponsors is uh, in or- erecting a 40 by 40 foot structure on the lawn. That's a huge X. And there's two entrances on one side. One says the future of education and the other side says the future of work. And you kind of wind along this maze and you realize you end up at the same place and you get a view of what that future is. Oh. And, uh, cool. You know, so that, you know, it, it's something that really highlights what their mission is this year, fits in with our theme, which is perspective where you stand matters. And there's there's a lot of that kind of imbued into their activation. But it, it's really, you know, creating a relationship with them and managing it. Uh, my you know, co-founder and partner on all this, John Mulvihill, just does a fantastic job of, you know, kind of the care and feeding of our, our in-kind sponsors. So that 
giant X is, and, and this may actually color how we how we talk today because I know that sponsorships are just a huge challenge uh, across the board. So I like that idea of activation. So it's not just we're going to put a logo up and we're going to talk about you and thank you, but you're going to have the op- the opportunity to do something interest interesting on brand for you and on brand for Ted uh, at the event, right? Right. Yes. And so give me some examples of other things that get done. It just, again, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm for my listener who's listening right now and, you know, they're all over the world. Let's shoot off three or four ideas that you think others might be able to, to accomplish. Sure. You know, sometimes it's really simple. And for instance, we'll take one of our, uh, common elements, common elements that we repeat each year, like we'll do a step and repeat photo booth, just like at, at Big Ted and Ted Active, where you stand in front of the Ted letters. Yes. Uh, every year we try and do something a little bit different with that. Last year we had a 360 cam where you, you know, three or four people could stand in the middle and the camera shot around them and you got, you know, a short video and, 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 you know, there was a sponsor that you know, took that space. This year, uh, one of our sponsors makes signs. And they're creating new 30-foot-long by 5-foot-high letters for us, TEDxKC letters. And it's going to be out on the lawn, spectacular view of the city, a great photo opportunity. So sometimes it can literally be as simple as taking one of those elements that's part of the event and then letting the sponsor participate in that in, in one way or the other. Uh, you know, this year we have, um, you know, this is our, our party that's held afterwards. So right. we have uh, – you know, tasting room from one of the local breweries, uh, Duvel, you know, is, is long for the ride. And, you know, if you walk a little bit, you know, in one direction or the other, you're going to bump into another 20 or so different activations of of one kind or another. Uh, it, you know, like I said, they can be very simple or they could be more of these orchestrated things that like, for instance, right. you know, one of um, one of our partners that is going to own this the stage where two bands are performing. So the partner's oh. name is Bash. So it's the Bash stage you know, right. on, on, uh, outside, you know, again, during that party afterwards. And I, I, I'm going to put a picture of that up on the site as well, because I saw that stage and the, the set deck. I mean, it. it the minimalist active the minimalist set design inside is countered by the amazing stuff you do outside i mean it's just beautiful with lighting and well, just- well thank you now sometimes if we have weather in the forecast we have a rain a rain plan uh-huh. and all that stuff has to be moved inside and it's not as spectacular when that happens it it sure. did happen last year rain was in the forecast and and frank frankly one of the best moments was when it actually started to rain so that we knew we made the right decision and it it poured and uh, our sponsors, you know, everybody was happy we made that decision. And so everything's designed to be inside or outside and the footprints were all organized very carefully. Um, You know, so there's a plan to kind of bring those things inside. So you'll see some elements that are inside and outside and there's uh, we have a before, during and after mentality to everything. So, we, you know, you, it's not just waiting in line, waiting in line is an opportunity to be engaged in some way, uh, you know, picking up the gift bag, kind of the same thing. And so really, we, we want there to be an experience during registration, during intermission. Uh, we, you know, we want there to be something obviously afterwards when the event ends and everybody spills out onto the lawn. You know, that's really where. Uh, you know, more of the sponsor activations take over in a much bigger way. Do you have a director of user experience? 
In a way, we do. Uh, I work at an advertising agency, and the team, the the core team, is embedded inside of oh. that as the organizing sponsor. And so, there's user experience people. I right. mean, we have an embarrassment of riches. I was just going to uh, say so. that's a, a little bit of a competitive advantage. I love that. Creative um, directors. We have motion graphics people. You know, we have uh, copywriters, people that build websites. You know, there's. Uh, we have, you know, so literally kind of everything you need to pull off, including, you know, project management wow. and volunteer coordinators are kind of built inside of the organization. And, and you know, VM, VML, the company I work for, has been the organizing sponsor literally since our very first event and has kind of grown in, you know, in our contributions. And, uh, of course, you know, there's a very high and, uh, you know, very high wall and very, very tall, uh, tall and wide while when it comes to editorial influence and we've right. been able to, you know, walk that very carefully for nine years. Uh, but the, but actually it's been, you know, it's, it's almost like one of those tips for other organizers is that, you know, looking for an advertising agency, advertising marketing or technology firm that wants to be a in-kind sponsor and can bring, you know, these kinds of, sorry for that, <laughs> can bring those kinds of in-kind, uh, you know, sponsor, uh, those kinds of functions along with that in-kind sponsorship. And it's really been a remarkable thing for us. And um, I can honestly say it's probably been the one of the key reasons why I haven't burned out over nine mm-hmm. years of putting mm-hmm. events on all year long because my company allows me to treat this, uh, to donate my time as kind of um, sort of like a Google 20% project. Are you the owner or what are the partners? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm a partner, but no, I'm I'm not part of the ownership structure. We're actually part of WPP, so it's a large public company. Got that. And um, how so? How many TEDs have you done now? I mean, you do the main event, and then do you do salons and youth and women and all that, or do you focus your energy on the one main event? Yeah, we do. Uh, we do four events a year. So we we do the TED Live. We do TED Women. Uh, we also have a TED Youth program that's been growing in size. Uh, yeah, we usually have, well, I don't know, maybe five, 600 attendees at that event. Right. And uh, and then, of course, we have our annual event, which happens every August, and we're about to do our, our ninth of that. Do you keep the same date so there's some c- continuity for that? And uh, do you think that's a good idea, or do you move it around? If we keep the, you know, our annual event in August. is It just became a tradition. I don't know how intentional that was. Maybe it was accidental as much as, as it was intentional, right. but the city's come to expect like the, there's an anticipation yeah, for that yeah. night in August when, you know, this event's going to, is going to happen. And, and so, uh, you know, and also we, you know, some, every year we look for a full moon and we try and time it with a full moon. <laughs> oh, do and, you? Uh, this year there's a total eclipse of the sun that happens on the following Monday. And literally one of the best places to watch it in the world is going to be 20 minutes from our venue. So there, that's one of the reasons why our theme is where you stand matters perspective. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, 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 Wonder what that conversation was like when last year when you're thinking about the theme for this year, because I know those meetings are, you know, you're just and again, doing it nine years, uh, you know, trying to figure out, like, how do we make it fresh and unique? And someone said, hey, there's yeah. an eclipse. <laughs> and we're right there. I've exactly. seen you guys right in the path it, of that. And also perspective, you know, where you stand matters actually fits very well with what's going on in the world. And right. 
you know, we've always, when we chose, whenever we choose themes, our goal is to not to create something overly prescriptive. Right. I think, you know, normally we pick something that if a speaker can't figure out how to back their talk into it, they they probably don't belong on stage anyway. (laughs) Mostly the theme selection, we pick that early. I mean, it gives us a North Star which guides the creative and that sort of thing. And, and I would say two ways we keep it fresh. One is, again, in this embar- embarrassment of riches column, we change creative teams every year. And oh. so we get a fresh team every year that, you know, wants, is excited to take a run at it. And then we have an enormous spreadsheet of um, brainstormed past and, fu- and potential future themes. We always begin with that process and kind of work through it from there. I um when you said it was it was the north star and it guides the creative I I'll confess having we did our first uh, TEDx Santa Barbara in 2010 I can't I don't know what to do until we have a theme like seriously I can't yeah. wrap my head around anything until we have the theme because I'm more on the creative side I mean I organize but I I tend to to sway over there and until we have that in and until I've got a graphic to look at, it just doesn't come alive enough for me. And so I get that. I, I had I wanted to go back on the activation just real quick because I had to solve that same problem, which was, you know, I don't want to raise as much money as these things could take. And food is a big part, right? So you're, you're yeah. you said you're catering and mine is the kind of the reverse. And I'm a chef from back in the day. And so what we did was we created a program called A Taste of TEDx. That's the brand. And under that brand, we have artisanal craft food providers all over this region. There's there's lots of food and small businesses. And they're the ones that step up and they do the speaker mixer. They do, someone will do the green room. We, they compete to be able to provide the snacks for the various breaks and all of that. And that activation becomes kind of a cool thing where we celebrate their, um, their idea, their food worth spreading, if you will, right? That taste That's worth fantastic. spreading. And that works out great. What, what was the, have you been to the Big Ted or, um, at global or summits or anything like that? Yeah, I um, it's interesting. Uh, well, I'm a listener of your podcast, and I know that's one of the great questions about your kind of your TED origin story, right? And I was kind of I was gray marketing TED in 2008. I was Uh-oh. renting out theaters and showing talks, so uh, I'm sure that's totally illegal. And in 2009, I went to my first TED Active, oh. and I have to say, like. It was so exciting for me. There, yeah. there were just so many interesting and yeah. intellectually curious people in one yeah. place. And yeah. anyway, just wow. And, uh, you know, I mean, I would say there was more excitement standing in line to get into the theaters right. than at right. any rock show I've ever been right. to. And, you know, but that was the year they announced TEDx. And there were a handful of us that looked at each other and were like, of course we're going to do that. Okay, of course, and, right? And that was in Palm Springs, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, five months later, we had our first event and, and, you know, it was three speakers and it was one performer and right. a $5,000 budget total. Right. And, and also our first branding violation, which I'll, I'll talk about in a second, but uh, it was early days. I mean, we, you know, we forgot to put in the X equals independent, you know, independently organized under the TEDx logo on our t-shirt and, uh, in any case, <laughs> so our first brand violation, uh, along with our first event, but you know, it just shows, um, 
it really it proves just you know how much you can do on a limited budget yeah, yeah, if you yeah. have a dedicated team and yeah. you know you take time to curate and find good speakers and to work with them to do something really special and yeah sure i mean we have uh, you know we probably lose $5000 quite easily now uh, on a line item and and not really worry too much about it uh, but, you know, I, I, whenever I meet with TEDx organizers for the first time, we always start there talking about that very first event and the ways that we kept the cost to an absolute minimum right. by having the having the venue being an in-kind sponsor, having the video capture being an in-kind sponsor and uh, and having food partners who are willing to kind of bring their things in and to keep the event, you know, scaled to a size that we could ma- we could manage. Right. And, and right. honestly, we knew we had lightning in a bottle when. The person who introduced our MC for the night practically got a standing ovation the first time they said Ted. <laughs> we knew that, you know, we really knew what how uh, switched on our community was and interested. And, you know, and of course, the Ted brand is just so powerful. Yeah, it is. Do you do you find uh, I hear this often and you may have heard it in the podcast that one of the biggest surprises that organizers have is that the Ted brand is unknown in their community or not as known as they thought. Yeah. And I, and especially, uh, you know, some, some countries and cities that, you know, Ted just really hasn't reached yet. And I completely understand what a challenge that is Yeah, uh, because, you know, now you have to convince somebody of what Ted is in the first place and why it's so important. And, why having this large platform of ideas in such an open way is such a powerful thing. And, uh, and I can really, really sympathize with having to do that hard work that, um, quite honestly was something we were able to shortcut because right, people right. In, in Kansas city really already knew what Ted was. That's a, that is a huge leg up. You don't have to spend money on um, educating your market, right. And then finding people yeah. and building community and all of that. What part of the overall, you know, you said you've got a partner and, you, you know, you've got to be, oh, by the way, how big's your team? How many people on the core team? We we have, and it, this flexes as we get closer to any of our events. Yeah, of we course. We have uh, four or five people that are pretty dedicated to this year round uh, in the sense that, you know, at any given time, five to 10% of their time, you know, yes. per week, they're thinking about this in some yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, as we get closer, that shifts. There's, there's two of us that spend a little bit more of our time. You know, it seems more like it's a, a running hum of, you know, 15 to 20% of our time. And when we yep. get close to the event, uh, you know, of course, every TEDx organizer knows as you get closer <laughs> to the event, the, um, the the task always seem to expand to fill the time allotted, no matter yeah, what do. it is. Yeah, they do. Uh, how many volunteers? Well, so this is we have a very. In fact, this is one of the things that um, I'm really proud of our community. We have 900 volunteers now. What now? And that's a Facebook group. And each year, there's about 70 super active volunteers. Uh, you know, so that they sort of rotate in and out. And part of the currency that we use to attract volunteers is that they are able to attend our simulcast for free. Right. And, you know, and, and so, you know, that works out quite well. Sure. But, you know, we, we have this large group. We loan it out to the other TEDx's in the area. The same, we have a rug. Yeah, you know, we loan out you our loan, rug. Fact, so back up, back up. You loan yeah. out your volunteers to the other TEDx's? We do. Yeah. We just, we, it, that TEDx volunteer group is available for any TEDx in the area that wants to 
uh, post a meeting and say, Hey, I'm looking for some, some folks to help me pull this off. And, uh, you know, and, and that's worked out well for a couple of events. I mean, it, I'm going to, I'm going to guess that that's a great idea. Knowing, you know, if you love Ted, you love Ted, you're a Tedster, you know, you love volunteering. And if there's another, you know, if you could only do it once a year, you're like, Oh man, you mean there's, I could drive maybe an hour and go find another event or go. In yeah. fact, maybe be on an, uh, have a more of a leadership role in another event, that kind of thing. That would be fantastic. What's, what's your favorite part? I mean, there's so many things you can pay attention to when you kind of at the top of the food chain, you know, you're, you know, you've got a dotted line to everybody, but what's the thing that, you know, you'll stay up late to make sure like you're going to put your fingerprints all over that. Yeah. I would just say that, uh, and this happens to me every single year that the moment the event finishes yes, and everyone kind of empties into either the reception area or in our case, kind of onto this great lawn in front of the performing arts center and, you know, drinks are being served and there's a couple of bands playing. And if you squint, it feels like, you know, like a Coachella or something like a music festival. And, you know, I look around and I see it. No, really, I, I just feel it. I feel this like optimism and even if it only lasts for a couple of hours at the level that that, you know, for a few moments, at least, it seems like we step away from the abyss and ideas win, you know, they win the day. And I just I smile so much, you know, until the lights turn off that literally my face hurts by the end of the night. And, uh, you know, I, I thought of this. Um, I thought of this last year was, uh, I, you know, the kind of the aging rocker, Jackson Brown. <laughs> you know, I, I always think of this like when the morning light comes streaming in, you know, mm-hmm, I get up mm-hmm. and do it again. And it's because of that moment that, you know, when teachers come up and say, I think I could use this in my classroom right, or right, I have right. a friend who's disabled. And, you know, what? it's the experience that we've all had as, as TEDx organizers when, yep. you know, something that night has touched somebody, somebody or made a difference in their life. It's really rewarding. That is such a powerful feeling. It is. um, It's, I dare say it's intoxicating. It is. And it almost overcomes things that don't go well. (laughs) Well, there's always going to be. That's the other thing when you care so much about something, you know, the little details, I think that's uh it's probably a personality defect that all TEDx organizers have is obsessing about, uh, you know, everything going well for, especially if anything ever doesn't go well for a speaker, that to me is, uh, it is a moment, a humbling moment of, dis, of, of real disappointment in, in myself for somehow not making that perfect for the speaker mm. who's worked so hard mm. as look forward to this moment. And unfortunately it's only happened a couple of times, but when it did, it was, yeah. You know, we reshot a talk. We let the audience leave and we reshot a talk once, uh, you know, to deal with an audio issue. <laughs> so, it, you know, you just want to make it right for these speakers yeah, because absolutely. they really absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so what's been, you know, now you've been doing this since we won't say 2008, but since 2009 officially, what's the, <laughs> right. what's the biggest surprise that you've had from all of this, this, uh, all the various bits you know, I, that's maybe a hard question for me to answer because the experience is, it seems like Ted has been such a present part of my life almost now for a decade. Right. And we're looking forward to our 10th anniversary and, you know, so many, uh, 
so many glorious moments in my life have been connected to yeah. knowing Tedsters, yeah. going to events, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Ted's being celebrated and all these moments where, you know, you see the event kind of, kind of coming off. But I think it's just, to me, the biggest surprise has always been just like how powerful and tight the community is. If you let it oh. like if, if you, uh, you know, if you go to a Ted active or a global or any of these events, or even in your local community, if, if you take the time to reach out to those people, these people, you know, and I think I kind of liken this to my philosophy on immigration. It's like when you meet people who are making active choices, like those are the people you want to be your right. friends. Right. Those are the right. people you want to be in your right. community. Right. And that's just, uh, it seems to be the defining thing for, for Ted organizers and, and, and Ted enthusiasts everywhere. And so, you know, it's that advice you kind of get to your first TED. It's like, say yes to as many things as you can, because even the things that don't sound like they would be that fun back home are going to be so great when you're surrounded by this tribe of great people. And I think really for me, that's been the the greatest thing. Uh, I'm so with you on that, having been doing TED for more than 20 years now and, you know, I started going to Monterey back in the day and... Uh, I remember graduating from the simulcast to the main room and, and then getting a chance to, you know, have my wife be one of the first speakers at Ted University oh, wow. and just being involved in, and when Chris bought Ted, that's when we started our software company because we created that intro network for, you know, his, his first, uh, Ted to be able to have people meet one another. But so we felt to your exact point, like there's, Ted red running in our veins. I totally, <laughs> I totally get that. And I, I think after you do it for as many years as we both have done, you, you see the higher order bit that our contributions are making to the, that global library of ideas. And yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's true for you. I know it is for us, but it is darn hard to get on our stage. It's darn hard to get in that red circle because we've seen so many great speakers, right? Would you, would you agree with that? Uh, I would. I mean, I think that is really the, the role of every curator is to, uh, to be the toughest critic on, on the people that get a chance to stand in that circle. I, I really appreciate, uh, this emphasis on journalistic integrity and, you know, and I, I feel like how we talk to our speakers is so important, mm-hmm. you know, about mm-hmm. the claims they make and the journalistic integrity and, and the standards it, just as important as, you know, how we inspire them to, to give the talk of their life. And, uh, but we're the gatekeepers yep. and, you know, I look back over nine years and there are definitely some talks I wish I hadn't staged. Yeah. There's some talks yeah. that I didn't think were going to be yeah. as great as they turned out. And, you know, and in a couple of cases, you know, they even ended up on Ted.com or the speaker was invited to the Ted main stage. And, you know, and it, but it's really, I think, just um, trusting your curatorial instincts and having a community of people that you can collaborate with. And, uh, you know, if you have a vision and if you're intentional about that vision. Yeah. And you have a community of people that you trust. So, and I just did this yesterday. I shared uh, I shared a recording of one of my speakers' talk to about twenty five women because it's a, a talk that I really wanted to get a, that perspective back. And uh, that community of people responded immediately with some really powerful changes and some thoughts mm-hmm. that I, I know are going to make this talk better. And uh, you know, so I, it's just having that community of people you trust. And trusting your own instincts first and foremost, and uh, and being intentional about it all. 
I I am going to play that that last six minutes for my uh, my team uh, tomorrow night. We are um, we did something new. We you know we did our submissions. We have the people we wanted to invite, and then we open up for submissions, and we've got that list narrowed down. And what we said this year was we are going to if you get shortlisted, then you do five minutes on stage at the theater. And we'll have the team there watching that five minutes. We want to get to see how you do. And we've not done that. Have you ever done that? Anything like that? Uh, we do something similar to that. We have a thing we call the speaker challenge. Oh. And every year we do this open call uh, for entries. Uh, set up a Google Doc. There's a simple set of questions. You know, why do you want to give this talk? Well, you know, where have you given You know, all the things you would normally ask. Yeah. Anyway, and then a place to insert a three-minute video. Uh, talking about the talk that you'll give and we get anywhere between 75 and 150 entries for that each year. Yep. Uh, but in every one of our last uh, three or four times, four times now that we've done this, one of the better talks of the night has come out of that. It's been a little hair raising. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes we question the value of doing it this way because you sift through a lot of entries that, um, you know, people that misunderstand Ted, you know, it's insta- right. their inspirational talks or their yeah. motivational talks or it's a life coach, you know, or, um, you know, there, there just isn't an idea in there or, right. or an interest. Yeah. So so there, you have to weed through a lot of stuff. But, you know, every year we found a gem in that. Uh, and so overall, it's been rewarding to do that. And then those people earn a five minute talk on stage that one person each year gets a five minute talk. So and we also provide the support to that speaker. So we do that. We treat them like every other speaker. And I don't know if this is unique or not. I've always wondered this a couple of years ago, I started working with a writer, uh, somebody who I trusted, somebody that had a, a sensibility that was, uh, and who was willing to look at something fresh yeah. and, um, you know, and, and take my notes, you know, it's like, you know, this feels a little heavy handed here. Can we come up with another way of saying, you know, so having a writer as a partner has, um, has impacted a dozen or more talks in the last couple of years that we've done. So back up for a second. So in addition to speaker coaches, you have a content coach. Well, it's, it's really, so our process is and some, you know, every year somebody will send me a manuscript and, you look at it and you're like, wow, uh, I don't think there are any changes are needed at all. And that that's really a joy. And it, it happens very rarely. Yeah, it's rare, yeah. The continuum, of course, is, you know, you start with an outline and, you know, we sort of voice over the outline and get conversational about it and then start to put meat on it and, uh, and then go back and forth. Uh, we make very heavy use of Google Docs and uh, so that we can suggest and make comments in that and have, you know, one or two people, myself and then and the writer, or even sometimes another person or two kind of contributing to that. Uh, but, yeah, the writer, the, you know, the writer oftentimes is coming in to help with a turn of phrase where it could be useful. Right. To right. Um, bring a literary style sometimes to uh, – or, or even just organization and removing mm-hmm. redundancy. So it has really been helpful to sort of have this process where, you know, we start with the outline or manuscript. We go back and forth on the manuscript. When we finally feel like we've got it in a good place, I always have the speaker record it or at least do a live reading. Right. And that's a moment of truth also. Yeah, it is. Kind of hearing how they uh, voice over, so how they're going to say the things that they say and what makes sense. 
And uh, sometimes the writer and I will go away for a long time and, and bat it back and forth and then send back a document to the speaker with track changes on and allow them to run through from top to bottom and see if they like some of the suggestions we've made. Now, for your very specific questions here, because I'm um, again, I love doing this show because I do a show and I get to talk to guys who do a show. So all these questions I get come up. So you said that you have an open call, which gets just civilians who come in and, and if they make it through the gauntlet, they can do a five minute talk. So the rest of your speakers, are they people you have invited or have they pitched themselves to you? I, you know, I found, and uh, I'm always curious to hear what other people say. I found that the vast majority of people that pitch themselves to me are uh, not a fit. Yep, I agree. It, you know, or if they are a fit, it's going to require some work to kind of move them. Uh, you know, I had somebody pitch themselves to me last year, and it was a very motivational talk. Yeah. But this year, we started with a clean sheet of paper, and we have something really special. And it and it it is a TED worthy talk, I think. Uh, but it, it's, I like to, I mean, I spend all year, uh, looking at documentary films, reading, you know, science and technology magazines, uh, asking my friends, you know, reading the newspaper, you know, uh, checking in with people, you know, Hey, have you seen anything really cool that just blew your mind in the last year? Uh, you know, and it constantly scanning the horizon and, uh, and then also I keep a kind of a list of people I've talked to because somebody yeah. may not work out one year, but may turn yeah. out to be perfect for the following year. And, uh, but so yeah, you I, invite our program them. is 30. Yeah, we, I, it is very much an invitation process. And I, I know many events do that differently and yeah. obviously to yeah. great effect. I think this is just the way that, I mean, our event isn't, you know, we do 13 speakers, so it's yeah. not, um, you know, we're not putting 20 speakers on stage or anything like that. Right. And, uh, you know, I see my role as, you know, part DJ too, you know, how do you, how do you organize <laughs> these talks and I DJ it in such a way that, you know, the mood and, you know, the mechanics too, you know, some, yep. there's a big setup for a musical. And one time we had a hundred kids on stage that were musicians and, you know, that was quite a trick to get them on and off stage. So, you know, they have to be around at intermission. So it, there's a lot of uh, moving parts, you know, I'd, I'd say, one huge help every year is, is working. Our production company brings a, a level of professionalism to I developing bet. the run of show and thinking through, you know, all the moving parts, uh, you know, so some really great partners all the way around. I, I, I just had this huge visual with you when you said, I see my job as part DJ. I'm thinking you're this DJ of ideas, right? So that's, it's something I would see you DJ and you like, you're just moving, you know, moving your ideas well, around. Jason and, Silva is the DJ of ideas. I think, I think I, I'm really, I think I'm just put laying, yeah, laying the tracks down in order and letting it happen. And, uh, you know, and to create a, a flow or a feel, you know, and, uh, we've all faced this, I think, as organizers, you know, you right. have some, a, a, a talk that maybe is tough or provocative in a way that is uh, going to bring the audience, you know, down into a more contemplative space. And then right. how do you, um, how do you, you know, take them someplace fresh? I love what Ted does with the interstitials that they do yep. with yep. videos in between talks, especially where you kind of need that palate cleanser. There's, yep. it's such a powerful 
and predictable. And I just want to triple underscore the predictable part because you know that video is going to work no matter what. And, you know, so I, I, I really uh, I've kind of taken that lesson away and was hoping to do it this year, but we just don't have any time to run a show for it. Yeah. It, it's um, we're, if you're, I'm sure we're like you, I mean, you're down to the 30 seconds. How long does it take the host to walk out, introduce the person and yeah. they walk off? And then, cause you, you know, that's the other part of it is you want to run a really tight show and you want it to look like a million bucks and all that stuff. I mean, that's part of being professional. And I think that's part of the Ted brand as well. That it's, you know, on us as ambassadors of the brand to, to make sure that we run that, you know, super high end event without spending, you know, a million dollars, right? That's, that's yeah. the hard part. Mm-hmm. What's, you, you, we started off one of the, you know, my listener, and I know you're waiting for me to ask this question, um, is around <laughs> the big, the biggest challenge, like the dragon. But I think you started by saying that you're, the ticketing system has been your dragon all these years. Is there another dragon? at TEDx Casey? That has definitely been the, the biggest one. Uh, no question. Uh, you know, I think the, um, you know, the other one was our growing pains, uh, you know, moving and this, you know, we've kind of got this, um, in a much better place now, but over the years, you know, keeping, um, oh, there's such a great demand for the event. And then when people couldn't get in, they were angry with us. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. Which is such an interesting thing. You know, they, uh, sure. you know, if you don't get a ticket to, you know, uh, you know, to Coachella, to use that example again, you just accept that. You yeah. Know, that right. You didn't get a ticket. It sold out. Right. And so, you know, over the years, we've, you know, we've had to do some pretty extraordinary things, you know, creating overflow spaces and, um, and trying to manage that in such a way so that people feel like they have access to it. And at the same time, we've always wanted to keep our ticket prices low so that it was accessible to our entire community and do some some scholarship uh, so that, you know, people that maybe never have been to their performing arts center before get to come in and have this experience. Oh, and sure, so sure. It, it's, you know, I think that is, you know, managing our growth is has been one of the biggest challenges. And part of that is just having been to have the discipline not to change too many things each year, every year. We want to make it bigger and better and more interesting in some way. And if I'm the one who breaks the law, the sheriff in town is my co-organizer, John Mulvihill, right. who helps, you know, kind of reel us back to, you know, let's just improve these elements this year. You know, let's just try mm. doing this new thing this year. And, and that's been having that sort of discipline and uh, organization around me has is, is really helped. Especially if you're creative, right? Because you, 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 there's, there's this wanting to do it. You want to do it better, but I'm going to, let's take us back mentally to the lawn, the events done. It's been amazing. Everybody's just going, I mean, like you couldn't do any better. And, and your partners, your sponsors, the team come up and says, Mike, this is the best one ever. Oh my, I didn't, what did, what did we do? How did we do this? It was the best one ever. And you hear that every year. It's the, and you're like, well, how could it last year was the best one ever? Now this is the best one right. ever. Yet when that glow wears off, you're like, okay, well, what can we do to make it better? <laughs> well, you know what makes that glow wear off almost instantly is reading your reviews, you know? <laughs> And, uh, you know, you get nine or 10 or 15 of them in a row or they're just effusive and it's a 10 and then you get a one or a two. Yeah. 
you know, you've made somebody angry because, you know, yeah. something got said that caused the boyfriend and girlfriend to get in an argument or, <laughs> oh, you know, no. somebody <laughs> thought you were taking a position on something that they didn't agree with or, or, you know, they have a real, obviously a real issue with something that we need to pay attention to. And right, so right, it, right. it is always like that moment of, I'm so glad that you don't have to see the reviews for a while. Yeah, <laughs> so you can, right enjoy it and then when you're ready to because the reviews come at just the right time whether it's by design or not when you're ready to sit down with your team and do the debrief you can yep. run through yep. those you can pull the ones out of the stack that are real good uh you know really solid bits of uh you know hey you should adjust this or you should right. change this right. or you know last year we had a very provocative uh, we staged a very provocative talk uh, related to sexual assault and there was a trigger warning and oh. we learned a lot from that. We, we had this uh, conversation on the hub as well because we had given the trigger warning and we thought we had given it adequately. But when we got the reviews back, we realized that a number of people had a very cathartic moment, but a few people felt like the trigger warning wasn't enough mm. that, um, mm. you know, it was given at a time when they didn't have enough, uh, advanced warning to get up and leave without being noticed that they were leaving. Uh, you know, those sorts of things. So, you know, there always is wisdom in those reviews and uh, in moments of introspection. And so we keep a running. Li I mean, looking at it right now, I have a tab in our Google spreadsheet, Google Doc, you know, 2016 learnings. And, mm -hmm. you know, we keep that list fresh and running. I, uh, again, I hope as organizers, you all have, um, you have that postmortem or the debrief as Hanu uh, in Finland said they have a pre-mortem, which is the, they, they meet and say, what could go wrong? And then they mitigate it. It's almost like a risk management meeting, but they mitigate against yeah. that. And I, I know for great us, idea. we heard a couple of things loud and clear, even though it went really great. You're right. It's like, how can we make it better? And ended up rebooting, uh, our whole event this year. Um, and then, you know, I'm running a podcast where I've talked to 50 of the most amazing organizers on the planet, and there's more to come. And that has a completely affected and changed. Uh, you know, you, you don't want that CEO who's driving strategy based on the last person he talked to. But in my case, it's the last podcast I did because I'll come in and go, Oh my gosh, I just talked to Kansas City. And then, blah, 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 blah. you know, I'm, I'm like that. So they kind of have to put the hands up and go, Okay, no, we're on a path now, Mark. We're the show's locked down, <laughs> right? We're locked. Right. Yeah. So your event is in three weeks. What are you most looking yeah, forward to? I, you know, we, we have a great lineup this year, but uh, I think that uh, – and the, the, I actually am really looking forward to the lineup. It, it's solid. But I think uh, the folks that are putting together what we call our Act 3, which is the, the party on the lawn afterwards, have oh. just outdone themselves. And I, I can't wait to see it. You know, it's uh, – there's, you know, some 30 different discrete elements happening outside and uh, lots of moving parts. Uh, and you know, good weather, knock on wood, right. You know, it's going to be spectacular. And I, and it's just, it's such a creative expression. There's so many companies that are coming together, the sponsors, you know, and, and there's so much creative expression in that in one place, you know, that is definitely what I'm looking forward to. Plus, you know, at that moment, everything's over and I can enjoy myself. Right. Right. Do you get to watch the show? Or are you backstage? I'm actually the host. So you're the host. Oh, great. I, 
I'm, I'm the host. Yeah. And I just have been doing that every year and uh, sort of uh, actually the time bef- the time when a speaker is talking, I'm sitting there basically working with the next speaker or mm. just kind of paying attention to what's going on. So I actually don't see the show really until I watch the live stream the next day. Right. And, and, you know, and there's, you know, it's just, sometimes it's, I did, you can tell speakers nervous and you want to, you know, have some fun with them and make them do a, a, a cutty power pose or something and make them laugh. <laughs> right. You know, right. and, and other times, you know, there's a technical element or something that needs, you know, attention or we're running a little long or a little short. And, and so I literally don't experience the event at all, except for the moments when I walk out on the stage and walk back. I, I am a centrifugal motion, uh, you know, uh, myself, I'm just constantly moving and, uh, but listening the whole time and, and making sure everything works on time. I want to go back to a question from the very beginning, but how, ma- how many TEDx's, not including your own, have you been to? Are you a guy who likes to travel to go see other TEDx events? I, you know, in the early days, I, you know, I would go to a TEDx Austin or uh, some of the events that were close to us. But as we have added more and more TED events, plus just going to the main TED conference, I find that my calendar is really crowded with TED stuff and I no longer have, it was a great joy. I no longer have that great joy of being able to visit a TEDx and we're also a level two licensee. So that responsibility of mentoring and working with other TEDx's in the area also takes up some time and, uh, and I travel a lot for work. So it's, uh, so what I'm hoping is uh, our TED youth event finally is it's under Great management. You know, the, that's one of the biggest challenges with TED Youth, I think, is that, you know, the kids turn over frequently. Yeah, yeah. And to have the youth mentors, you know, I finally feel like I have a really solid team of of youth mentor organizers. And uh, I think that's going to give me some time to go see some other events. Oh, nice. And there's so many great ones. We are uh, – one of the things um, that was – directly a result of doing this show was me rethinking about our TEDx. And I always thought of it as an event that needed an organization to produce it as opposed to an organization that produces an event and creating something that was sustainable and thinking about it as a a full organization. And that completely changed everything that we did and how we thought about it. And this is our first year of doing it that way, but I'm so looking forward to finding some leadership for the youth part because I think that's a huge underserved. Well, I won't say underserved. It is here in this area in terms of underserved in getting them in front of ideas. But I look at what um, TED Ed clubs and TED Ed and all of that are doing, and I just I yeah. like that needs to be a, a bigger part of what we're doing as we're you know, getting. I would, uh... hmm, Yes. You just reminded me of something. And I, I, I'm going to go back to something I said earlier because, you know, our, this is our ninth year and I've probably done 30 or 40 events and my team has a ton of institutional institutional knowledge. Yes. And I assume somebody, you know, who's just starting out might look at our event on the live stream or have the experience I have when I look at TEDx Sydney on the live stream. Right. And be kind of in awe with what you see. Yeah, but it's really important to remember that, you know, that's happened over uh, many, many years, incrementally adding features, you know, learning a team that, you know, is getting to know each other. 
But that in no way diminishes the power and the excitement of doing your first event with, you know, like right. ours, three speakers, yeah. a performance and an audience of, you know, maybe 50 or 500. Who knows yeah. what, you know. Yeah. And that, I, you know, that really is that's where you start. You know, you start small and you begin building by watching what others doing or others are doing and, and you learn each year a little more. Well, that's our hope in this contribution that we're making through the show and having guys like you uh, and and just people that are so dedicated. And in this uh, non-competitive open source, let's share all of our ideas, right? That's that's the other thing that's unique about this organization. Wouldn't you say it's like we're not – as much as we try to be non-competitive and stuff, we kind of always are. But in TEDx, it's really not sure. like that. It's We really are trying to work with one another – with that being said, which TEDx, I, we're going to take our magic carpet or our red circle, turn it into a magic carpet and fly you anywhere to any TEDx. Where am I taking you? You know, I, I have always been in awe with what TEDx Sydney has, has pulled off. And I'm sure a lot of people will say Sydney. I, I traveled to Australia a lot. So yeah. it's not just the excitement of going to Australia. It's it's really seeing an event that has figured out how to do some remarkable things. You know, the way they cut away to television style reporters, uh, what they've done with their pre-show, you know, show, you know, it's you know, their live stream. You're not just sitting there waiting for the countdown timer. You're seeing, you know, produced content from before and all the nice little touches that they do and how they've managed their sponsors and their experiences and their adventures it's really, it's, uh, I think, you know, I, um, uh, emailed Remo after their event, you know, several weeks ago and just said, man, you are the gold standard. And <laughs> is, I know right? there are other amazing events out there. I see them, you know, and, and there's too many to mention, but you know, that's probably, that's the one I'd like to go see just cause I, I feel like they're doing some, some really brilliant stuff on the, per, you know, production values and that sort of thing. I had a chance to talk to him two weeks ago and that show will be posted in September. And, uh, that was a real treat. We've been friends for many years and just to, to hear his point of view. And in fact, we were, we were so interested in how they do that. And there was so much interested in how interest in that event specifically, it is the number one TEDx that organizers want to go to that we're going to, uh, have a show with his curator and we're going to talk about their curatorial process and, and all of that. Cause I think that's a, like a whole show dedicated to that. So we're at the end of our show. We save the, I think the best for last, which is our hack, which is that what's that one tip you have that you think is, you know, I, I you've heard the show. So, you know, you know, I don't need to lay it out for you. What's your hack? You know, I kind of mentioned most of them throughout. You know, we loan out our rug. We we loan our our, our volunteers the X's. You know, we use tech, you know, like Clapper, you know, Slack and Google Docs and that sort of thing. And, you know, kind of the engagement we do before, during and after and atmospherics, all that stuff, I think are important hacks. But I, at the end of the day, the most important thing is really paying attention to doing something special with your speakers that – you know, to have a talk that first of all, to convince a speaker that they have an opportunity to give a talk of their lifetime, that it has a chance to reach a larger audience if if they do the work and that they'll have the support that they need to get there uh, is, you know, one half the battle. And then the other half is is curatorially picking speakers that have something truly interesting to say. And 
uh, I'd say that if it, you know, if it, anything that I learned from the first couple of events was, I mean, I probably got very lucky in my first event. I, you know, ended up with some speakers that just happened to walk on stage and were well prepared. Right. And I didn't know yet how important my role was in mm. terms of working mm. with them to craft the talk right. and to push them continuously to kind of improve it and get into a good place. I would absolutely say it's like, that is the most important thing that you can do. It is the m- most important thing to be very intentional about and to give yourself a lot of time to do it well. It's not too early if your event is coming, you know, a year out is not too early to begin. I, I, I love that. And what I love a lot about it is it doesn't cost you any money, it just costs you your intention and attention to that detail, right? You don't have to pay for yeah. that. That's just all about you doing, taking the role. Well, what is Chris Anderson's title? He's the curator, right? So he's self-identified. Yeah. Like that's the most important part, right? Being the curator. Yeah. And I love what you said, doing something special with your speakers. Um, it's reminiscent of um, Greg at TEDx Fargo, right? He says, you know how hard it is to get people to come to Fargo? Of course, we're going to give them the best experience that that there is. Uh, you know, and in fact, he, he invited me to come and do a Ted talk next year. So I actual 20 years, I'm finally going to do a Ted talk and it'll be on his stage because I'm just, he's so convinced me that they do such a great job. I want to come now we can, uh, tune into your live stream. So I'll make sure we put that out and we pay attention to it because I really want to watch, watch your show and, uh, and, and pay attention all day uh, long to that. I, that'll make me nervous to think about other <laughs> TEDx organizers watching. So I'm not, I'll just try and turn a blind eye to that. <laughs> well, there's no, there's none of us out here. None of us listening. So thank you'll you. be, you'll be fine. Mike, thank you so much. I, I just really appreciate getting to to know you a little bit better and have the other folks get to know you better and know your event and appreciate your generosity and in, in the ideas and sharing all of that with us. Um, best of luck at your show and uh, I hope to talk to you soon. Well, my gosh, this was a joy talking to you and I really appreciate what you're doing. You know, bringing, bringing the voices of other TEDx organizers through my commute, my computer has just been a blast. And so thank you for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to hacking the red circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show, or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.